Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. All right, all right. Sitting here with my my better half, Dean Morris. Oof, I'm I'm half. I'm maybe a better like quarter. I don't know. <laughs> like physically, I'm more than half. That is for sure. <laughs> okay, but yeah, I don't know. Anyway, you're, two, we're here together. There we go. Two halves make a whole. Maybe we're a whole. We're, yeah, <laughs> we're if you ask our wise, we're probably about what like maybe four two, eighths, two quarters. I don't know. Four eighths is half. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, put us together we make a half that's right so we had this uh, amazing conversation this week as we always have the privilege uh, week in week out to mm-hmm. connect with these inspiring people um, these inspiring individuals that create these these waves these ecosystems of, yes. of goodness and well the conversation we had today was with an old friend Panit Dillon who's written this amazing book Catapult, Catapult. how to think like a corporate athlete to strengthen your resilience and Kind of along the the lines of some of our past conversations that we've had with uh, pod alumni, Mandy Gill, mm-hmm. Dina Chachinov, uh, about creating habits um, and kind of the fusion of of where those habits can form, whether it's habits from work transferring to habits at home, or in and Mandy and Panit's case, habits uh, from movement and athletics, mm-hmm. and how they can can transform your your work life. Um, so Dean, just before we roll things over to Panit, I know uh, yourself and I, we both grew up with a lot of sports. And I think in, in reflection, uh, you can see how that may have helped mold you as, a, as a, an adult, as a, as a grown man. Hmm. Uh, what, what influence do you think sports has had on you in, in your life? Ooh. I mean, yeah, lots. I think that I wouldn't be literally where I am today without the role of athletics putting a putting on a high school hat um you know at our school we had like a an academic kind of rule as i think most schools do is like if you didn't have certain grades you weren't able to play you could be on the team but if until your grades were up you couldn't play and just on a real practical level like 
you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a terrible student or anything like this, but it definitely, it definitely uh, gave me the nudge to like pay attention to my studies and like try and do hard, like show up in class and show up for school literally sometimes to show up uh, in order to play. And yeah. so athletics like helped me in that aspect of my life, just out of like that sense of accountability or duty. Like I had to do this in order to play and I really wanted to play. So it was that motivation factor. That's what, I mean, that's one way off the top of my head. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think um, you can find this in other collaborative activities, whether that's, you know, farming or a club, whether that's an academic club or a sports club, but reflecting on my own sports like i learned collaboration yeah how to to play with others how to play as a team that we're better together than i am by myself yes Uh, i learned about failure i had a lot of anger um a lot of entitlement to like i always wanted to win i always wanted to be the best yeah and i think i learned to accept and to learn from failure and defeats through sports totally and that kind of allowed that to show up in other aspects of my life you know the one big lesson too was we often we often talk about in in sports or athletics like you got to learn you got to learn how to lose you got to learn how to fail yes but equally so one of the most important things i learned was like learn how to win well yes and i still remember one of my coaches one time when we when we won a really big game and we were we were super amped up for it and it meant a lot to us as a team and we won and you know our celebrations like they were just sort of unfettered like we were just so exuberant that we achieved this milestone goal beating this team and and having this victory but our coach quickly like reined us in and said hey guys like act like you've been here before and it wasn't like don't celebrate but it was like win well yes and like remember it drew our attention to like the fact that there was a team on the other side of the court that was having the exact opposite experience of us. And there's something about that where it's like celebrate, yeah. but like be humble, like have dignity for your opponent. And that, that lesson cause it has kind of always stuck with me. Work hard, stay humble. Yeah. Yeah. Coaching too, like this idea of having a coach, mm-hmm. I think that helped in, in my life. Like, uh, you know, I've got a business coach and, um, this idea that having a coach allows you to grow individually, but also collectively, Um, having that in sports allowed me to accept coaches and, uh, leaders in other aspects of my life. Yeah. Uh, joy, you know, joy in in winning and hopefully joy in defeat. You know, that's, I think the bigger challenge. Yeah. Uh, communication, you know, I think that was a, a big thing, uh, as a player and later on as a coach, like learning that we all think and see differently Mm -hmm. and learn to communicate with, you know, 12 people that make up a team or 10 people, but we all talk a different, slightly different language, have different priorities, have different ways that, you know, resonate or connect with us. So learning to be able to reach and communicate with everybody on the team to have a collective kind of goal. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. And that even that idea of like personal, but also collective goals, I think is is really important. That's a big takeaway is like, and now, now as we're, you know, maybe... Uh, more what like recreational athletes what would you call us right hobbyist amateur amateur yeah yeah, pro we're professional amateurs yes but like that idea professionally average (laughs) (laughs) but that idea of like we can we can um have goals and pursuits individually and that's maybe more so now but then in team sports especially like you you have collaborative goals Mm -hmm. and that requires individual goals to set and do and achieve things that will help the team. And I mean, that's just humanity, right? We all want to 
make the world a better place. We do that individually, but with the collective in mind. I remember this one time in high school, we had our, our team had to uh, do the grouse grind and we had to all do it under a certain time. Mm. And the first time, you know, everybody but one of us made it in that time. But if we didn't all make it, we had to all do it again. And we quickly learned that that wasn't, we weren't individuals. Yes. So the second time we all went behind the the individual that didn't make it up in time and they let us and we all elevated and pushed ourselves together and we all got well under the time. So it was just like this interesting idea that, you know, yeah, working together, we can go a lot farther yeah. than if we go on our own. Totally. So catapult, how to think like a corporate athlete to strengthen your resilience by Puneet Dillon. His his journey from Canada to India, back to Canada to America, uh, is one of inspiration. He's a triathlete, a, a runner, a cyclist, a swimmer, a dad. Mm-hmm. He's a CEO. Um, he's established and grown, you know, big businesses in the in the bioscience and biotech space. Uh, Incredible guy with an incredible community and um, an incredible amount of joy and love and compassion that he has for the world. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he truly embodies that idea of, of caring and bringing and collaborating uh, as a team uh, to get to that start line and that finish line. Um, yeah, just an inspiring individual. So I'm excited for you guys to to dive into this conversation and hopefully pick up a, a copy of catapult uh, the website as well. Puneet Dylan.com mm-hmm. has a lot of amazing journal entries and takeaways from the book. Yeah. Uh, amazing uh, visuals and infographics that really, um, really bring home the teachings of this book. So be sure to check out Puneet Dylan.com as well. Yeah. Lots of great resources there and you can just uh, see, see the man behind this conversation and the man behind uh, this great book catapult. So, Without any further ado, should we turn it over? Yeah, Puneet Dillon, everyone. All right, super excited for this conversation. We've been just kind of rolling along here. Could have hit the record button a few minutes ago because we've been chatting running and travel and all the things that we love. Um, Sitting here with a longtime friend, uh, Puneet Dillon. Thanks for joining us, Puneet. Hey, thanks, Zach. Thanks, Teen. This is really a privilege to be here. Thank you so much. We're we're so so grateful you decided to run all the way from San Diego. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Casual. Compared to some of your other guests, I wish I did that. (laughs) Next time. Next time. We'll we'll make sure you're you're getting here by foot next time. (laughs) (laughs) So good. But yeah, it's good. Definitely good to connect. Good to have you on. I'm really excited for the conversation. Uh, just to to hear some of your story, also some of the work that you're doing in the world, and um, in in between and in throughout all of that, we'll hear about your values and who you are as a person. And I just know from the conversation we've already had pre pre pod here, uh, it's going to be a good one. And there's going to be lots of takeaway, practical takeaway for people, you know, as they hear your story, to be inspired, to find those those little nuggets of wisdom, and um, yeah, see see what uh, see see what becomes of the potential in all of us. That's excellent. So, yeah, we want to get into your book, Catapult, How to Think Like a Corporate Athlete to Strengthen Your Resilience. Uh, This is an amazing book, such a good guidebook for both sports and business and and the fusion and crossovers between the two, like every chapter. I love the actionable steps, the questions. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a big fan of, like, the visuals and um, some of the layouts that you have within it. So I want to get into this, but before we get into your book, 
Uh, let's get just kind of a little bit into into yourself, Puneet. I know <laughs> we were chatting about your origins uh, before we hit record, but uh, you're born here in Canada, but spent your first five years basically with your grandparents in India. Yeah, that's been a unique uh, upbringing for sure, because not everyone has that opportunity. I, I yeah, I was um, still pretty young. I feel like you know, I feel like as we're getting older, we're still being able to recognize that uh, we we still think. Um, and uh, treat our bodies like we're young. Um, but yeah, I in the early 80s, um, I won't give away my age, or maybe I can, I guess, because people can Google that stuff now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but basically, yeah, I was, I was born in 80, and then I, I got an opportunity to um, uh, be raised in, in India, partially because my parents, being immigrants, they were still very young themselves. They got married, you know, compared to, these days, I feel like much earlier, I think my, my father was maybe 20 and my mom was 19. Oh, wow. Um, so I think they had me when, if I'm correct, I think my mom had me when she was 19. Okay. So very early in terms of their uh, their personal lives. And then uh, they were still in their careers or still establishing themselves from an education standpoint as well. I think my father had just um, finished his undergrad, again, came here to and got married, and then he was working on his master's. Uh, and then he was going to school in New York. Um, so I, I may have been the accident. They've never admitted it to me. But, uh, but essentially, I think the time... Happy accident. Happy accident. Timing yeah. wasn't perfect. And um, and I... Uh, um, my, so my parents lived in New York. I was living in India. I don't re- really recall much of that period because, you know, it's just naturally... You know, but I, I, I do have some fond memories in terms of um, just what that experience was like post yeah do you have any memories of being in india as a as a child you know when i look at photos and yeah. stuff then i feel like i do and, yeah. and some of those early memories kind of seem like that they're that yeah. they're there i for some odd reason i do remember going on a bus yeah to school but yeah. then when i look at myself and i look at my own children i'm like how is that possible as a four-year-old but right it could have been yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> and 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 um so i have some good you know memories like i have memories of talking to my 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 grandparents and certainly being more um i i i i think i at that point i spoke fluently in punjabi wow uh, which which you know i can't do anymore and um i also remember spending time with my uncles and uh and growing up with them and then my cousins and and that that whole uh, experience but my grand my grandparents were, were very unique uh my on my paternal side my father's side uh grandfather um worked for the education ministry in Punjab. So he was a high up there in terms of an official. So there was a very structured kind of upbringing in the house. And um, and I think that that rubbed off on me because there was a lot of time spent in terms of talking and learning and, and those kind of things. And even going back there as a young child or teenager and having that time to spend time with my grandparents or when they visited in Canada, uh, that that was constant, and then my aunt and um, uncle, or uncles, they were uh, you know, fantastic in terms of just instilling those values. So mm-hmm. it was a, it was an interesting experience for sure. And then coming, the moving to Canada after that was a little bit eye opening, I think for a, for a young boy that you know felt like you know he, this is a foreign country. Yeah. 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 I was thinking about just when we were chatting earlier, like my oldest Finn is five years old. Yeah. So you moved here when you're moved to Canada, moved back to Canada when you're five. Yeah. So I can't imagine like Finn just coming into our lives now. Like it would be such a, like 
foreign experience as a parent in a way. Like you just kind of missed those formidable years. And now, like, did you have any detachment from your parents because they weren't um, kind of that uh, maternal, paternal presence for you as a as a young child? Yeah, like, so I, I my parents have told me this and I, according to the albums they had they did visit me there okay so I, I don't know how many times that happened it wasn't and see you later <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it wasn't see five see years yeah, yeah that wasn't like that I think there was like this connection for sure but you know you just don't remember that but I remember when my so I moved we moved back to Toronto yeah and that's where my brother was born but my father uh, wore a turban and had a beard and yeah. he looked had a very close resemblance to my uncle who was his brother uh, so I had a natural affinity to him, yeah. And my mom was like this foreign, foreign person. Like, <laughs> so, so my mom and I had this like resistance moment. And my dad yeah. would go to work, and I remember like crying, and uh, like, no, don't you know, don't leave and stuff like that. And then my mom, bless her heart, um, and this is where I think I get my uh, my cleanliness from is yeah. because the way we interacted and the way we formed our bond is we cleaned the house together. Okay. So, oh, so, so I learned how to sweep and vacuum and do the bed and, and this discipline that I have in terms of telling my kids now to do their bed every morning before they go to school. Like, it's like, it's funny. I think it comes back from being a five-year-old and, and that's how I had that bond with my mom. So I bless her heart in terms of she instilled this, this really great structure in me in terms of how I operate. And that's yeah. how I have my, my mom and I have a very special bond. I always joke with her that she has a much closer bond with my brother, who's five years younger and didn't yeah. have the same experience that I did. But, uh, you know, like your parents, I, I love my parents. I'm, I'm really glad that they, you know, they worked hard uh, mm. to get to where they needed to get to. And they they helped instill some awesome values into into both of us and that's been it's been really nice to see mm. what was the impetus for them i mean in some ways we we often like generalize a story of people immigrating yeah. and it can be the the intricacies or the details of individual people's lives can be lost like what was their what was their hope dream vision for coming to canada like part of that was starting a family different opportunities or, or have the have you talked about that like how come you guys yeah. came yeah it's a great great it's a great question like i i i, I have uh, talked about that and i've i've um you know individually most of my parents are separated and divorced but i have different relationships with each of them i've spent majority of my time as a teenager and an, an adult even with my uh, with my mom but i basically have been in california since 2003 so even uh, like when i look at my life i, I was I, I was with my parents from age five till 14 and then they went their separate ways and then i was with my mom and had a huge amount of responsibility and from up until age 23 and then out the door and then yeah. kind of on my own but still you know naturally i still take care of my mom and i still talk to my dad and and that's just the way uh, things go but what they what's the what what they i think um one of the main reasons you know they, they their individual experiences of coming and immigrating to canada was unique in my mother's case she she immigrated when she was i believe pretty young i mean i think it was 19 if i'm correct it's 1969 but that would make her yeah i believe around that that age but uh, because the the irony was that she uh her and i shared similar teachers growing up so she 
went to the same elementary school that I went to. Wow. Okay. Well, like we overlapped at one elementary school together and we overlapped with similar teachers. Mm. And she also had the same high school counselor that I had. Okay. And that high school counselor was also a high school counselor of um, my uncles and then also my, bro- my brother. So she went through two generations of our family. Um, so there's that kind of interesting kind of experience where I, I don't you know they, they were young when she when she immigrated she was a child yeah uh, so, so my grandparents did it because of the opportunity and and because of what you know the the struggles that they they had um, in India and saw you know there was this 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 mass immigration that was happening to Canada my in my father's case um, I think it was different opportunities it was an arranged marriage okay. and uh, they got a chance then he came came here i think after after the, you know that courtship was made and then yeah. then came here in 1979 i believe and then from there um my uncles came my dad's brothers and and um that was it was cool it was cool so i i, I think the takeaway for me was just i got a chance to see see a lot of that growing up you know in the, in the early 80s mm-hmm. but prior to me prior to me being born even you know that was even more prevalent in our in our um I guess Indian diaspora or this this whole immigrant culture, like because yeah. I I hear stories of my 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 mom's you know being responsible for you know cooking and 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 helping take care of like whole households of, of families. Like apparently you know they there was multiple generations living in one family, uh, sorry one household. Right. So stuff like that. Like you know we just don't have that anymore. I mean there is still to some extent a lot of that but if i look at our family I, we we're, we live as a family of four right, yeah. in one house yes and and um and you know we we have a i guess a you know a different different sense of role and responsibility today compared to what they experienced so they i think that that responsibility aspect of it uh was really ingrained in, in core and that was like what's their important connection to the children about what they had to d- bestow in terms of what they knew what they thought they had to bestow yeah. just similarly like how we're parents and we have a different sense of like how okay, what how do we instill our values to our children because <laughs> yeah. it's tougher to do right now i feel yeah. like it's not as easy to display to them the same hardships as our parents went through yeah so yeah I don't know if that answered your question, oh, but I think we went kind of one one other entire different direction. But I think one of the things that like I just reminded about is like the the that that experience of living with your parents after you know a while. Um, I think that the parents, in case of my parents, they've had felt a huge degree of responsibility of of uh, maybe playing a bit of catch up and and being uh, there for their children. And I think that was a, the really important, if I, if I was to be retrospective and look at like, what did I observe? And, and you also remember, there wasn't the same period of all these other distractions. Mm-hmm. You know, we're living in a pre-internet age, pre-iPads and cell phones and all that stuff. So you spent time with your family. Mm-hmm. We, I remember you know, a proud moment for my father was, when uh, in the summer of uh, what it would be the summer of 1992, we drove from Vancouver all the way to San Diego, you know, and hit up Disneyland and uh, SeaWorld and Universal Studios and stayed at 
family or friends' homes along the way and yeah. maybe the odd Motel 6. And then he came back and I remember he pulled out all the receipts and he's like, we did this entire trip for, I think it was like $680 or something like that. That's amazing. Yeah. For a family of four. <laughs> yeah. Unreal. Okay, unreal. Like yeah. today, we can't, can't, go to, can't even go to Disneyland for one day yes. for a family of four for yeah. $680. Shout out to your and dad. That's, yeah, so <laughs> that's I mean, amazing. they drove, like, they had to pay it, but look imagine the time that you you know the bonding time that you have yeah we didn't have ipads and glue to our we had to talk and yeah play that you know no that's your side of the the (laughs) back seat with my brother and have all those arguments along the way so it's cool like in terms of the the way that they instilled the values um i think i have a i have a much broader appreciation for this i was driving a few weeks ago and it was a long it was a long road trip um so I was making through. I was going through all my phone. Uh, you know, and you're on your when you're on the road, you get through all your checklist of all the phones you want. So I I was pretty down down there in terms of feeling caught up. So I called my dad, called my dad, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, why, "Why are you calling me?" Because <laughs> yeah. like I don't, you know, that's nothing. But it was funny because he he's a uh, he's uh, in his older age. He's quite quite a funny guy too. But we were talking about like this this general idea of like. Um, he used to spend a lot of time uh, with. Um, he was ver- he was very religious, um, and he he made it really important for us to you know connect with religion. But as a child, you don't really understand the connection, nor do you like understand even what they're saying. Right. The, for me, for instance, like the dialect that they speak at the at the gurdwara at the temple like mm-hmm. it's a different dialect i don't i don't understand you know all of the the terminology it's even today i'd say i would have to take i would have to take the translation book to make sure i really understand um but we were just talking about like okay you know the, why did he because he would do that like every day we would spend an hour reading scripture right and stuff like that and it was painful for me like it was because i was barely articulate in terms of making the sentences, but he would have the patience to sit there, correct, and go through that. And um, and still, you know, have the patience to listen to me. I, yeah. I don't think I have the patience to listen to my mm-hmm. 10-year-old, you know, yeah. you know do, do that. And maybe, you know, I'm being a little bit facetious in saying that, but I, I think, I you know, it's, it's, it, is a, it is a commitment. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think that well, our takeaway, our takeaway in the conversation, as as me as an adult now, and in my forties, and I guess he's he's in his sixties. Uh, I felt like uh, today I can recognize that I understood the importance of that discipline or stamina of just maybe understanding that that meditation it was important, or that connection to some being is important, or just to be the fact that you're blessed that you have some connection to some being um, being uh, there. So when we, then we started talking about the religion. I'm like, okay, well, what is our religion all about? Sikhism, like that's who I, what, I, what I'm connected to. Um, he and I talked about like, the, well, there's, there's these three important kind of takeaways in Sikhism is one is that you're, you're kind of devoted to, um, um, you know, appreciate the meaning of, of God or, or the connection uh, to that, um, you you. The second point is to learn and always live an honest livelihood, and the third important takeaway is to give back your earnings mm-hmm. and give back to charity, and and that's how it's like everyone 
um, rises together. So there's a very community aspect to that. And I was like, okay, well, that's awesome because I can really connect with all three of those points. Like, uh, maybe I'm not as religious as I was when I was 12 years old. However, I still meditate or I will still do my, I, I, ironically, when I run, yes, <laughs> I do yeah. my scriptures. Oh, amazing. You know, so when, when, yeah, it's because if, especially in a race, sometimes, you know, you can't have music yes. or you can't have an, so I've done an Ironman. I remember, and I was like, the only thing I said for 13 miles was why guru, why guru, right? And ironically, in the Penticton Ironman, there's also the Indian or the Sikh temple on the on the run back is that out and back yeah, on the yeah. way back you just see in the distance a sick temple it's a, it's a great race for 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 people that are religious i guess but so anyways so i i can relate to that in terms of day to day yes i can relate to the fact of okay living with integrity yeah you know and and working in, in an honest way and then this this other aspect of giving back so i think coming back to you know where this conversation started it's it's great that our parents um, uh, instilled uh, that. And as a, as a parent myself now, I look and I talk to my wife about this all the time. All the time and I was like, okay, well, we got to pinch ourselves. We're living in this beautiful, sunny state of California. <laughs> and, um, but I can't forget like, you know, where I came from and how do you continue to give our next generation that same sense of purpose or that same type of connection or instill those same types of values. So yes. yeah, it, and it, and it can't be like just lecturing or, or just when, know, I, when I was a kid. When, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's tough to do that. Like they, they just don't relate to that. It has to be experiential. And yeah. 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 Even, even when I talk to my son now and it's just, <laughs> this is just a silly analogy, but I tell him like when I was a kid, we had to wait till the cartoons would come on. Like we didn't <laughs> yeah, just yeah. have Netflix where we yeah. could choose all these cartoons. He's like, "What? That's crazy, Dad!" Like, yeah. Yeah. you didn't just have all these cartoons to choose from. Yeah. You couldn't just skip the ad and that, skip ad, and right? The, like YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. My and kids the, skip it. And then my parents would be like, you know, we just sat around the radio and listened to the shows yeah. on the radio. Yeah. So it, like, the the privilege compounds over generations and mm-hmm. and yeah. just like different. I mean, obviously different challenges, but uh, I do, I am curious about that, like, sense of grit and resilience that, you know, clearly your parents had in, in, in immigrating to Canada and passed down to you and your brother. Um, knowing both you and your brother, I'm, I'm, you know, confident that you guys both <laughs> yeah, yeah. inherited both resilience and grit. Um, you mentioned your your marathons and your endurance sports, and I'd love to kind of transition into into your athletics and how that inspires your your kind of your corporate sensibilities but before we get there like how did you first find sports like what was do you remember as a kid yeah the first sport that attracted to you attracted you or, or maybe your first sports icon like michael jordan or wayne gretzky or yeah it was definitely those two yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> those, those two. all of us <laughs> all of us yeah, michael yeah. Jordan, um, kids of the 80s yeah and yeah. mario lemieux yeah, and um, but basketball was a big big theme in the household. My father was a basketball player in, I guess, university or or high school himself, and then he was also a swimmer. And um, and he enjoyed running too. So I was introduced to, you know, just whatever professional sports because they were on the television. And then the Olympics was a big deal in the in the house. And at that, I think for all of us, just looking forward to the olympics was a 
very, very inspiring growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still remember Ben Johnson's sole 100 meter dash, right? Like I, yeah. I watched that live and I can relate to what happened in the aftermath of that. Yeah. And then, um, what is it? Donovan Bailey, you know, yeah. subsequent to that. And, and then, then you had the Usain Bolt generation, right? So anyways, you, you, you know, it's, I think it's been awesome to see that progression. And also, I could say that it's great to see that progression from we witnessed Michael Jordan yeah. during an era that it's still hard to relate to. Yes, we also witnessed Kobe Bryant and we saw, um, what do I call him, King James? But yeah, LeBron. Yeah. LeBron, LeBron James, James yeah. and, and other superstars. Yeah. But there was just something about the Michael Jordan era that still distinguishes it. We also got a chance to witness things like Lance, I mean, people like Lance Armstrong and yeah. C7 Tour de France's and all that stuff. And and we also saw the, you know, we also know the, uh, the downfall. sub- downfalls yeah. of all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So every generation and every sport had its like important things. Um, and I still take away from those other experiences. It's like, it's, it's always humbling to you know to um try to put yourself into what that professional has put themselves through hmm. i i and and we can and if and physically we can barely ever relate to it because it's different but you know partially of why i'm so um passionate about athleticism or just uh testing our bodies and endurance and stuff like that is because that's the only closest relationship i can i feel like I can appreciate what the greats may have gone through, the hardship that they would have gone through to get there. Because I'm not going to be able to compete at uh, the same level. I don't think I have 10,000 hours to right. you know, become that expert in, in that particular field. But I'm going to really want to, you know, in my own way, um, see how I can grow myself in terms of suffering or the pain or the training involved. And I feel that there's always a positive thing that comes out of that. So I was introduced to that, thankfully, through my father. He was amazing in terms of being consistent about um, just getting us, getting us outside and doing things. And I live close to Kensington Park in, uh, in uh, near Knight Street there. And there's a hill. Uh, so I would, uh, I remember, you know, doing this at age seven, eight, running up that hill and repeats uh, with my father. And, and then I remember beating him when I was nine years old. And that was a big moment for me from a milestone st- standpoint. I also remember pushing my brother down the hill on a tricycle, <laughs> which, is, which he still never lives, lives, lives down. I was going to say, he probably remembers that too. <laughs> he does. We, I still have the x-ray. Oh, so so I still have the x-ray behind my dresser in Vancouver where his collarbone's broken. Oh my goodness. He literally was at the top of that hill on his tricycle. Yeah. I would do these hill repeats with my, with my dad, his, my, bro- my brother's on his tricycle and his red tricycle. <laughs> and I, I went behind him and I pushed him. Yeah. And it was like oh, probably my lowest point as, as, a, as, a, brother, <laughs> as a brother. But uh, we still don't let it. He doesn't ever live <laughs> the trauma. Yeah. The trauma. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And he just went rolling down uncontrollably on this tricycle. Oh, man. Um, but no, the, the, the great thing is, uh, so he, yeah, he instilled that. And then I also had like just my, uh, on my mom's side, uh, my uncles were very athletic. They were like provincial wrestlers. And so that we, I, I had a great upbringing in terms of being surrounded by just really wonderful role models. And yeah. I would wrestle with my uncles. I would, uh, you know, get to um, see that, uh, you know, just 
structure. And then my dad was really good about, you know, getting us involved in participation sports. And then I had a high, uh, elementary school coach, Mr. Carey, who uh, was the first running coach that I had. But imagine having like a marathon um, experienced marathoner as your running coach as an elementary. So mm-hmm. you just, you know, they're just, uh, you're, we're all runners or guess amateur runners, if you will. Yeah. But we, you know, we appreciate when we get good counsel mm-hmm. from an experienced runner. And that was the situation. I did, like, I wish I, I took more advantage of that when yeah. I was in grade seven. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I was an adult and I actually became an endurance runner, or I, I, I started endurance running, I tried to find this Mr. Carey. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I was looking for those nuggets of wisdom as an adult runner, right. you know, compared to, but, but he was uh, great because he, I don't know, he recognized that I was decent at a uh, mid distance, 400 meter. And um, so he helped train me up. Like he, he would do interval training, you know, that you don't get that at grade six, grade seven. No. Right. And, and that kind of structure. So that interval training and then, and then there was, so this it's it's all about the community so this community um you know you have other parents that are also enthusiastic about sports so my father had um a friend who had children that were uh very good runners and he must have that that their dad must have been a runner yeah uh, or a, a very strong coach of of uh, in athletics so he would coach his children and i think that rubbed off on my <laughs> My dad so my dad would <laughs> spend a little bit more time coaching and 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 so all of that and um incidentally uh you know i in, later on in adult life i've run across i've came across um those kids uh, just were, were not uh, related but we 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 just remember that as growing up as uh, you know in elementary school and and our parents being uh, runners but um no, it's 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 been nice to see that 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 continued, and then that also was a a little bit of a ripple effect in terms of my uh, I got I got into swimming and competitive swimming, and then competitive swimming was like where it really uh, elevated to a whole new level because then you get exposed with a whole new cohort, and then you have a whole new cohort of parents and coaches and and all that stuff. So then it just was a domino effect. Uh, I stick with I stick stick with competitive swimming for quite a while and then I became a coach myself in competitive swimming and I got the cool opportunity to be um, a coach with the Canadian Dolphins uh, which is um, out of Vancouver and yeah. they're basically at that point this was in the late 90s uh, they f- they were a feeder system into the Pacific Dolphins that fed into U- Union uh, sorry U- UBC University of British Columbia and that um, was co um, coached, I guess, by Tom Johnson, who was the national coach. Okay. Wow. okay. So that was the, like the pipeline. The to... pipeline into the full Canadian national coaching system. Crazy. So I'm on the coaching staff, and essentially Tom Johnson's the head coach. And you can call, and when you have your coaches' meetings, you're learning all of this stuff. Like I wish I knew this when I was swimming. Yes. You know, like yeah. they 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 would bring in like these Olympic level swimmers and do talks and seminars and. They would take the coaches to Whistler, and it would be a three-day thing. And you know, we'd learn the, you know, the the the, the all of this the knowledge systems right? and the yeah. structure yeah, to yeah. become a great swimmer. That's yeah, so like cool. even the uh, you know aerobic systems and anaerobic systems, like you know, coaching certifications and stuff like that. They they come with all that underlying training. Well, 
you know, you don't really appreciate it when you're that age. But when you're training yourself as an adult, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember learning about anaerobic and that's what it meant, right? Yeah. You know, so it's it's been cool. Like, I'm really blessed to be coming out of, like, a cool structure like that because yeah. I don't think everybody gets that opportunity. And yeah. I got exposed to some really good people that to this day, like, I'm really blessed to be... I, I still keep in contact with with many of them in different ways cool. just because of those friendships were really important. So we have we have this uh, athletics bent, like you, kind of the milieu of your family was athletes and, you know, fitness and getting out as a passion. And yeah. you find your way into this, like, you know, kind of upper echelon of swimming in Canada yeah. and being connected with these people. And you're getting all of these resources of like how to coach and all this for swimming. But obviously those principles translate to business and life and all of that. But it's interesting if you pick up your book on the back, it says Puneet Dillon was nine when he almost drowned in the swimming pool. <laughs> yeah. So how does a kid who almost drowned yeah. get into swimming because a lot of times people are afraid of water they have a bad experience they're like no that's not for me so what's the what's that the story was, and what's the transition that was all my my father he basically said well you like i after that incident he's like you're taking swimming lessons okay. <laughs> and then i think you guys remember the red cross system or yes, yellow absolutely. orange and- now i got stuck at like orange for like five <laughs> i held it like five times i couldn't uh swim yeah. straight in a straight line so i did all of that yeah i did all those badges i still have them then all the life-saving badges and yeah. i was like the um so then I basically kind of exhausted that system between nine and 13. Yeah. And then at that point I felt like, okay, I was trained up as a swimmer because like, yeah. but it's nothing like competitive swimming like right. that swimming in those levels in red cross and competitive swimming is completely two different, completely two different things. So, um, uh, yeah, it was a horrible experience. Dad says you got to learn how to swim. Yeah. Made it a point to, stick with this red cross and then in, in 1992 summer or yeah 1992 summer basically put me into a swim clinic uh competitive swim clinic yeah two weeks and it was night and day uh swimming that kind of level in terms of just every day for it was basically two back to back so it was four weeks of swimming yeah and that that helped me really progress and then then from there i joined swim team when i was 13 amazing yeah that's cool Let's get into some of the chapters of your book because uh, yeah. I think there's so many takeaways mm-hmm. and, and each chapter, I think, has got so many lessons for athletics and for business. Um, so just to kind of kick things off, you had Dr. Annalisa Jenkins talk about leadership in the beginning and she said, um, what, what constitutes a great leader? Leaders must be able to envision, engage, energize, enable, execute, measure, communicate, and collaborate. It's like, it's a lot of hats, right? I'm, I'm humbled by what, you know, when she mentions that. <laughs> I had a, a chatter with her like a couple of weeks ago, and she's that, that woman's an amazing woman. Wow. Yeah. So I think like in, in sports and in business, like you have to be able to envision the future. You have to be able to collaborate. You have to be able to energize a team or yourself you have to be able to execute on these goals uh you have to communicate things so yeah it's a lot of hats but it all starts at a start line whether it's starting a business mm-hmm. or are starting a physical pursuit whether it's a marathon or an iron man or just you know lacing up your shoes and going for your first run in 10 years so i love i love the quote that you start with the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step by lao lao tzu how do you say lao tzu lao tzu yeah, yeah. So maybe like oh, we can start with um, 
start lines and and um we've got this nice breakdown here of uh beginning and then getting to accountability so uh let's, maybe let's start with the uh start lines and accountability yeah I, okay so it's for me yeah there, there's this this element of the book um as we talked about in the pre-pod like the book started from this aspect of trying to just write down what what was my own experience so i had i think i had this great experience of uh you know getting into the corporate world at a quite young age i I got a chance to witness the dot-com yes um era and the bubble uh, and the burst yeah um and i was working for a corporate finance law firm here Uh, i was uh, also like kind of wearing a different hat of um for working for a fund a healthcare fund and finishing my undergrad at the same time so awesome opportunity i got basically exposed to this like life science community it was my responsibility at the fund was to write these investment memorandums so i basically do this analysis of the company and then put it into a package so it was like 100 and 150 pages and then give it to the investment committee to to do their whatever research on or they would come back and say no you got to do this dig a little bit deeper here and give us an update so i would i cut my teeth in the industry in this great um with this experience and the experience to me really matters in terms of when you're trying to like uh distill down um you know experiential opportunities are way better than textbook opportunities in my opinion because it's just hard to relate to that yeah so the so this this uh period when in 2020 when i started putting thoughts on paper it came from the precipice of what have i learned between my 20 year old self and my 40 year old self and trying to document for myself that experience because I think all of us can say that, you know, we've gone through so many life experiences. You have children, you have marriage, you have other, you know, milestones. And do you notice that as, as, as adults or even going from adolescence into adulthood, you kind of always in this chasing mindset, you're chasing something and you don't know why. But you're just like, that's how it's done. It's like, you've got to get that. You want to get here. The next you want to get there. Yeah. If I get there, then all of this is going to be great. Or I'll be able to do this other thing or whatever. Yeah. And that so David Brooks talks about this in his book. And he's like this, this, um, I forgot what it's called, the second mountain. Yeah. So he's basically like the first mountain is like you go through uh, life, you know, getting your degree or your school, your degree, family, home, car, whatever, career. Then what, right? right? So then it's like, okay, yeah, you got all those things, but that what's what's that? Because that there's it, it still doesn't end. It just seems like it morphs into something else. Yes. And all of our wives always, you know, always, you know, always asking her, "What do you mean you're going to run 13 miles? What is that going to do for like you know?" You have to contend with that yeah. as well in terms of why does that? What is that meaning to you versus somebody else? Yeah. Yep. So accountability. Came, so the book was about trying to figure out what's going on up here that's giving you this constant drive mm-hmm. and not wanting to turn off. Mm-hmm. And then, then, it, then, then I had to put some structure around it because there's too much stuff going, going on up here that you know, like can be contradictory sometimes. So there needs to be some structure. So that's, that's how I came up with like this structure of like, okay, what, what do I believe in? What are my principles that I think that are the what, what makes me wired for the person that I am? And if I was to then, if if my daughter 
came and asked me and said, Dad, what is, what's, you know, who are you and yes. why do you do what you do? Yes. It's not Panit the CEO or Panit the father or, you know, whatever the, the you know, triathlete wannabe or whatever, right? Like it's, 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 I, I, what if, what if, what if all of those things didn't exist? Mm-hmm. Then who, who are you? Mm. And that question came up. You and I got that question, I think back in 2000 and, I don't know when it was, too too long ago, 2013 maybe. Yeah, we were in a leadership group uh, with uh, podcast alumni, Judy Brooks. Yeah, and she asked that question. She's like, what what does that mean to you when you have none of those things? Yes, and take away your take credentials away. or the things that... Yeah. Uh, so that to me is this whole aspect of accountability, Yeah. Mm-hmm. right? So the accountability starts from there. That's your grass or your baseline mm-hmm. and... And I don't know. I'm still like always in search of that. But I, I've identified with a purpose statement. Yeah. And I've identified with different things that make me wired for who I am. And you know, in this in this opening chapter, I think I talk about this. And you know, I still do it. And I did it today. Like I, I flew in today. First thing I did, I land, I land, and then I I did my loop. Yes. Um, and my loop is five. It's this five mile loop. I start at my home in East Vancouver, where I grew up. And run to Kensington Park, where I used to do those hill repeats, run past my elementary school, run to Queen Elizabeth Park, run past McBride, where I Did you run up the hill at Queen Elizabeth Park? I did. That's a good hill. And I I used to have the disc, I used to have the record on that (laughs) at one point. Oh, nice. (laughs) But then Strava came along. Yes. And and then it's hard to prove your records unless you, I feel like, you know, it's, yeah, it's uh, a. That's a spicy hill, too. That's That's not. uh, Yeah, yeah. For those listening, if you haven't run up or biked up, Queenie Strava segment called uh, Disc Golf Hill. That yes. was that was you. <laughs> Amazing. No, I don't think so. But I I remember there was a period where you you know you do it enough, yeah. Then you become like some yeah, kind of like local legend, local legend or something like that. And it was yeah. like this one brief period where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a local legend on Disc Golf Hill. <laughs> but it's a hard one to become a local legend because it's a bike path. Yeah, right. so it's skewed. I feel oh, like I some of the I, like, I think I know this path. I'm gonna go run it. <laughs> yeah. You're just gonna go after it over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm usually good for one hill run at Queen Queenie, and then I'm like, okay, because we live. Dean and I live in Richmond, where there's no hills. So, yeah, right. yeah. So when we run into a hill, it seems like double double as hard. Yeah. Twice as hard. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, I, so you did your five, five, yeah, five mile loop, and you got grounded being back in Vancouver. Yeah, that's like a, it's a it's always a eye-opener for me because I still get reminded by those childhood memories like I I always almost my parents had to make a trip to India in 1985 for I believe a wedding or something important so they needed to pull me out of kindergarten and then I was at kindergarten at McBride and my kindergarten teacher was like no well if he's if he's if he's gone for a few weeks sorry we're gonna hold him back and uh, you know that was like that's traumatizing for yeah. for a young kindergartner, right? Even though you don't under, understand and appreciate, but you don't want to be held back. Yes. And and then so my parents pulled me out of that school and then took me to this other school called Tecumseh, and apparently I was a great student there. And like you know, like the teacher didn't have any problems with me. I don't know what it was, but it was like there's this like this contradictory. So those kind of memories light that fire under me to mm. get to be constantly remember reminder of the accountability mm-hmm. and that's you know that's a lot of what this book was about so there is a formula i tried to put some structure around it with a with a formula on how do you achieve accountability and some of it 
it is driven by habits because habits are if you're doing them frequently enough then it becomes second nature and when it becomes second nature then you're not thinking about it yeah you're right you're like just doing it you're doing yeah. it like how often do we think about brushing our teeth it just happens yeah. just like how we breathe you know if you started doing that with a thousand meter or two thousand meter row time every day if you did a two thousand meter row you are bound to get better or improve yeah. we were talking about another example of that runner that's uh, you know, 52 years old. And, and Ken, yeah. Ken Rideout, yeah. yeah, he's improved his marathon time every year since he was 35. Yeah. He's 52 now. I don't know how he finds time to run 100 miles a week. Yes. But that is something habitual. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Right? So that's that's accountability. Yeah. So everyone, and that, that's the thing, it, it doesn't have to be something like a massive metric like that or anything like that. True accountability can be just as simple as you're taking the time for yourself. Mm-hmm. You're taking the time to be respectful with others. You're taking the time to lead your team. Wh- whatever form it is, it's just be yourself. And and I find that that's harder to do today than ever because there's so much distraction and influence mm. that gets in your way. And you guys talked about this, I think, in another podcast about the filter. Yeah. Right. And that that filter is important. So, what's your filter for accountability? Yeah, that's good. When when you when you talk about accountability, lots of times in like goal setting and all these things that we we approach, is um, it's good to have like public public accountability. So, yeah. do you have uh, a practice, or do you encourage people? Um, you know, let someone know, write it down, share it with your five closest people, share it with your team. Uh, in depending obviously on different contexts, right? There's going to be personal, there's going to be uh, athletic goals, there's going to be corporate success, business goals that we all have. How do you how do you build in that metric of accountability so you can say, okay, here's what I want to do, here's what I want to achieve, and like here's who is going to know and help me to get there. Yeah, I've been lately. I've I've been sharing with my team. We we like from a work standpoint of switch gears and talk about work for a second. There's a yeah, like I, li- I work in the life science space, so there's a longer life cycle for building products or technology, and there's a lot of regulatory uh, steps involved because you're dealing with Health Canada or FDA, US FDA, or other U- regulatory bodies. But aside from getting getting into all that, the, the takeaway is that um, uh, with my team, what, one of the things that we really try to understand for ourselves is... Um, what are the metrics involved in in terms of what each other are doing to quantify them actually? So not just the simple smart goal stuff and yeah. KPIs. That's okay. That's fine. You can operationalize probably any KPI you want. Any smart thing you can use that definition. Those of you that are listening to this, you can Google what smart, smart goals, goals are. Well, yeah. yeah, but but it goes beyond that. The, the the for for me, it's the it's the in in a team especially when you're running a lean team and, and you, you got these lofty goals of trying to develop a drug, it's a diversity in background. Because I bring a certain amount of expertise and my expertise, as you touched on, are supposed, supposedly you know all the things that Annalisa just talked about and I'm going to do all that stuff. My head of regulatory has a separate experience and ex- expertise. The head of finance has their experience and expertise and so on. So the diversity of background 
is a critical part of 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 them helping to define what is it that's really going to drive drive that thing because it's the goals are it, the goals can be clear right mm-hmm. the getting from point a to point b is absolutely um you know clear but it's the steps along the way that have to be rational in order to get to point b right. and that diversity of background and those specific things that need to get done that they matter because those people have that insight that help you quantify what those things are because i could say no well, why can't we do that shipment you know the regulatory person's like no you need an export license and you need this and you need this and this and maybe i didn't i didn't pick up on that right right and um so so that that's one one important takeaway for me the other has been this aspect of expect the worst hmm. so <laughs> i i i basically have told the team that you need to think about the worst case scenario in order for you to have the contingency plan and right. the contingency plan about that and it, that's covered in catapult as well like i always am talking about scenario b c and d because that is inevitable and if you're if you're ready for all of those then it makes it easier so when things go well and murphy doesn't get in your way then it's all then it's all good yeah but but if it doesn't which it does often not go as planned then you have your contingency plan on the ready so expect the worst and then the final thing is this attention to detail right attention to detail and organization and structure just goes a, a long way and if you don't plan and you don't have that attention to detail and that is a metric in itself Mm -hmm. right like you're 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 i okay i'm I'm gonna oversimplify it this making the bed thing for me is a chip on my shoulder (laughs) like i i believe that if you make your bed in the morning you are really setting yourself up for success throughout the day right just because it could be meditative it could be um, it could be just a reminder about where you started from getting out of bed or whatever it doesn't have to be the about the aesthetic i'm not talking about the aesthetic of of doing the a bed. practice the, the consistency the routine yeah mm-hmm. it's hard to tell somebody to go and do 100 push-ups every morning yeah but you could do your bed just like how you brush your teeth yeah <laughs> right yeah and that practice in itself is like a part of, well, what if I did add the decorative pillows that my wife always wants me to add? Or what if we are focusing on the color tones that mm-hmm. all of a sudden you are activating some of the other things that we take for granted. Mm-hmm. You're right? starting your day with accountability instead of a shortcut. Yeah. Because if we skip skip one thing... Then what else can we skip during the day? What other shortcuts can we so, take? So coming back to attention to detail, yes. it's like your business or yeah. your business, you you if you don't do things improperly and food safe, yes, yeah, that's not good for your business. No, right. <laughs> can't skip steps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, should I, should I wear my gloves today or not? <laughs> nah. Yeah, should I wash my hands? Yeah. Well, sometimes I wash my hands. You know, yeah, yeah you, you gotta, gotta do it. So if you're if you're pr- bringing that to the workplace then why wouldn't there be that same level of accountability in other aspects of your life? Mm-hmm. There's that quote, um, Dean, I might get it wrong. You're always good at correcting me. It's like how you live today is how you live every day. Yeah, yeah. Or yes, that works. How you do anything is how you do everything. That's the one. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> My better half, Dean. I just wanted to, I just wanted to be consistent. <laughs> so there we go. So how you set, setting the stage, making your bed, how you do that one thing, 
can represent how you do everything. Yeah. yeah. I'm, no, I'm hoping good. that my 13 year olds listening to this podcast at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me yeah. too. Yeah. Definitely. But it is, it is those small things. And I mean, it comes back, I think, to, to what you talked about earlier with like your upbringing and how you saw those values kind of instilled in you and recognized from, you know, your family uh, and your parents. Definitely like that, that kind of understanding of like things, things are, things take work, things take effort. And for that is like some level of accountability. Maybe it's externally at first, like mom or dad or boss or whoever saying, hey, do this thing, do your bed or show up on time for work or be here at school, complete your homework, whatever it is. But then eventually like we have to take ownership of that and have some measure of accountability even to ourselves to say, this matters to me. So I'm going to show up and do these things regularly, even if they're not necessarily things that I love to do, Mm -hmm. but they're great. And I think, I mean, I know for me personally, like when you get in the pattern of doing things because it's just like that discipline or that routine, like you can almost find joy in the routine. And it teaches us that like doing things and doing hard things can actually be really, really beneficial for us. Yeah, that's that's the, like if we were talking about this in the in the pre-pod is that a term, by the way? Pre-pod. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's, it's quite it is, a, it is around here. Yeah. Yeah. So this idea that, like, so when I wrote Catapult, it was around what do you learn from endurance sports? Yeah. And uh, athleticism and how does that apply to the corporate world and establish resilience? Naturally, I think people can can connect the to- connect the dots there in terms of what that's all about. You know, that you you... you apply the same type of discipline you do in preparing for a, a race or preparing for events or anything like that into the same way that you would run you would expect yourself to be running a business but yes it works the other way around as well in terms of you know how many times have we heard um i know we're, we're I, i'm a this year i'm an example of it where i'm not doing as much mileage as i normally normally would be not training as frequently as i normally am in previous years and and then kind of beating yourself up about it saying oh no well i'm not doing that or you know and 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 legitimately there's ex- there's a reason for it because time is you can't do it all yeah there's all just the time. other yeah there's other stuff that is consuming the time and that's that's equally as important but recognizing that that's the part of what you have to appreciate that you're going to try to take a, take the positives out of that the discipline the structure all of the things that we bring towards the pain cave mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. cycling or running or whatever you know discipline that we're working on, there is a little bit of that same element in in that. Uh, you know, so you, you you yeah, I'm I haven't gone to the extent of doing intervals for Outlook. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but but I, some days I it, it's crossed my brain. I was like, okay, I'm gonna spend ten minutes every. Every hour on the hour. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, when you say that, I yeah. think that's almost how I work. I, like, I'll be like, okay, focus, probably because it's so easy to get distracted. But I'm like, okay, I'm gonna hammer through these emails for 45 minutes. Yeah, and then I'm gonna like go read this article that's gonna re-inspire me and give me some energy. Yeah. Take take a little five minute break. So I'm, I'm walking for a couple of minutes, and then after that walk, I'm gonna go sprint through these emails that I have got this meeting. So I do like create these paces during mm-hmm. my day mm-hmm. yeah. that are almost like intervals yeah. um, without even being that conscious of it. Yeah. Well, do, you, do, you, do you feel like you get 
the same reward out of it than you would have when you rode 100 kilometers? Yeah, I, I think it's almost it's easier in sports because you often have like um, a destination, like an endpoint. Or Strava tells you all these yeah, like, awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah, kudos, kudos. <laughs> like, no one's like, no one's great, <laughs> great, Zach, you, you finished your emails. Yeah. And, and it's more of a work is more of a journey than than. We can Go start giving you kudos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, te- just text us. Next time I finish my emails, I'll be like, kudos, kudos. But I definitely like relate to that pacing yeah. Of, yeah. of sports and, and the business world. Yeah, I think it's brilliant too. Like I love how you said that, you know, like you can flip it and say, yeah, we often look at endurance sports and say, oh, that's like training for the boardroom or that's training for your professional career. Like you can... You can persevere and we draw all these beautiful metaphors from, you know, running a long distance or cycling or, or whatever it is. And but to flip it, I think is almost more inspirational because not everybody is going to go run 100 miles and not everybody is going to go hop on their bike and then ride and then go for a swim and then go for a run altogether. And people, they say, oh, I could never do that. But the majority of us are working every day. And we're building up like that mental toughness. We're building that resilience internally that can equally translate into doing those things. So it's almost like the the opportunity to say, oh, well, really endurance sports is more mental. And it's like that, that, that mental toughness and that mental resilience that is going to allow you to keep pushing through when your legs are like, mm, I'm tired and your lungs are burning or whatever. But to say, you already, as someone who has like struggled and worked and endured through this, you know, corporate or professional environment you found yourself in you have the mental toughness to go out there and do it it's just like believing in yourself and and that was the, what i'm trying to get at with catapult because to me the 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 thing is that it's the catalyst for making this whole this last chapter about mavericks yes is because you need that it's a call to action for us to not be afraid of taking on that hard stuff Okay, mm-hmm. so the hard stuff is easy to define when you're running an Ironman or doing an Ironman because it's like it's 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 already out it's there. It's gonna be hard. It's a it's a it's a pre, um, there's a precedent out there. It's yes. a swim, bike, run, and there's distances and yep. time limits and quantified. Business world is infinity. Yes, in infinity has its own scariness associated with it, mm. as well as opportunity associated with it. Yeah. And that's the beauty of 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 the of what you put into your work yes. and the passion you put into your work and this alignment with purpose with work is what you get out of it, mm-hmm. right? You have a Patagonia sticker on on your thing. I mean, that's a great example of, yeah. of a company that that has truly that yeah. has, has done it in in terms of the way that they're operating and then the founder yeah. and, and and his recent news. You know, like those kind of things are just. Um, uh, a good living example of like, uh, so I, yeah, long way of me saying like, I'm, 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 uh, my, my call to action of this book was to give that next generation some structure to don't, to not be afraid of going after some of the big stuff, the big problems. And I laid out five ideas in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the um, and the five ideas are just themes, mm-hmm. just like they're, you know, you can go to the UN website and find the sustainable development goals. There's a bunch of themes right there. There's a lot of themes in this. You can go to the Aspen Institute website and there's a bunch of themes there. There's a lot of different ideas out there, but how are you going to distill it down to what you want to do and how could you make your dent? And that's what, you know, we talk to a lot of different entrepreneurs and everybody is obsessed with the dent of making their dent. Mm. And it's hard for them to define their dent. 
and it's hard for us to be able to relate to Elon Musk, right? And what yet he's like our God, right? In terms of many, many ways, like we're like, okay, well, we all want to be like Elon Musk, but let's be real, right? There's there we 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 have to be comfortable and accountable to what's in front of us and also disciplined enough to keep doing it and not be afraid of some of the challenges and the and the falls and all that stuff that comes along with it. And I this year can say that I appreciate that more than ever than I have had in previous years in terms of, uh, I wouldn't say enjoyment, <laughs> you know, in terms of the, because the, we had some setbacks in terms of our development timelines this year. But at the same time, recognizing like, hey, that's that's part of it. That's like the way that this is going to go. And that's not different than the headwind that I experienced in Penticton or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what I'm thinking of when you're when you're sharing this is how you talk about resilience and um, we were talking about your your upbringing and your parents' upbringing and I think some people just learn re- resilience through through how they were born or through their their social upbringing. Some people just like it's it's a passive outcome from having to to be strong and to have grit to to get through life. For others, um, you know, you're talking about your your children were born with more privilege than you were, than your parents were, than your grandparents were. So for them to learn resilience and grit, um, it's harder. But when I think about sports, um, it doesn't matter where you were born, um, how you were born, you can learn resilience and grit through sports because it can be no matter what, an Iron Man's hard for everybody. Yeah. No, matter, yeah. no matter what, swimming a certain distance is hard for everybody. No matter what, if you're into basketball, winning a state championship or, or making the team is hard for everybody. So you've got this great breakdown of resilience. And um, since I've had kids, uh, sports was so big for me growing up. I've thought about all the lessons that I've learned from sports, and a lot of it was amplified in your book. Um how sports gave me structure, it gave me purpose, it gave me collaboration, it gave me like learned how to work as a team, learned how to have that vision, all these things you talk about in corporate leadership. Um, so you've got this equation for resilience here, um, and it's purpose-driven, mental capacity, emotional intelligence, physical capacity, and true accountability. And I think, you know, we... we go back and forth in my family. I'm like, sports are really important because you learn all these things and our kids aren't that interested in sports yet. They're two and five. But I'm like, these are our foundational things that you'll take everywhere with you in life. Even if you stop playing sports at 14 or 15, if you're exposed to this, you learn about purpose as a team. You learn about mental capacity. How far can I push myself? Like, yeah. what is what is possible? emotional intelligence like you have to be able to communicate with your team you have to be able to be understanding and have vision um so you learn learn those things physical capacity like how far can you push your body how does that play with mental capacity like what is the what is the seesaw of mental versus physical capacity and the last one i think the most important is the true accountability like if you don't show up consistently you mm-hmm. never mm-hmm going to be able to establish that resilience and and see those gains and those improvements so um i don't know where you want to jump in but i I, i'm just kind of going out on a macro of of how sports can be the equalizer that allows us to learn resilience yeah i i agree like i mean on all of those those habits or those components of those layers in the 
it's referred to as in in catapult is referred to as the corporate athlete high performance trapezium it's just because i'm not so crafty at marketing um lingo maybe we can come up with a better nomenclature for that but (laughs) but essentially what it was is 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 all those things feed off of each other yes um and they're important so put in the sports context we you know endurance sports uh i have this habit of picking races that are contiguous yeah because i hate out and backs yes (laughs) Because I've same. <laughs> we always find if you look at our Stravas, we always find weird loops because it's just like, <laughs> yeah, I already went that way. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. Like uh, it seems a lot harder. The and miles I, seem longer. And I hate playing the mental gymnastics. Yeah, associated with the out and back because then you, your mind's telling you over and over again to quit, stop. You've already got there. Yeah, you, you, you're already back to square one again. Why do you want to do it again? Yes. <laughs> Whereas if you're contiguous. Yeah. You don't have that option. Yes. You have to continue until you get back home. Yes. So um, that's the easiest way. If we, <laughs> Richard Branson in his book, um, I remember reading this long time ago, like in my early twenties. He, I forgot what book it is, but one of I think his his biography. He has this thing, a story about as an eight year old, his parents would leave him at the end of a forest and they would have to they would have to come out the other end or something like that crazy like uh, i don't think we would do that for our kids but (laughs) yeah sometimes i'm tempted (laughs) (laughs) like i'm just like you know what if you put them into a situation and they have to understand how to survive and get out of it i mean within limits i'm not suggesting like you know we're gonna teach our kids harsh survival skills and yeah yeah like in any draconian way i'm just suggesting that you uh athletic certain types of athletics and certain types of endurance opportunities or sports have allowed us to have that mental capacity that emotional intelligence the time with our thoughts and the requirement for our physical capacity and that that constant feeding of each other of all of these different elements to support it becoming a natural resilient thing Mm. so that when you're put into a situation like that again it's probably not going to be as worse as the what you just went through part of my my i remember in my last company i finished this and like i finished an endurance event they had they hated two things my team they hated when i went to a ted conference (laughs) and they hated when i would go to uh and do like a like an endurance event like an iron man or something like that yeah because i'd come back and i'd like no was not in my vocabulary yes (laughs) it was it was like what do you mean we can't do that like we can do anything right and and that's the that's the downfall of of this this uh, this attitude right it's like the ripple effect the ripple effect is like you so how bad is that like well, then you just got to put on your rational hat and then you have to remember the rest of your team exists and the rest of the team is going to hold you accountable as well. And, and right. you know, t- you bring in these different experiences. So I'm a firm believer of doing these uh, point A to point B things because point A to point B, you don't have a choice to, you know, to not, unless you're okay with a D- DNF. Yeah. Not many of us are. So that's the discipline how do you get to that to that level it can start small Mm. it doesn't have to be again it doesn't have to be sports it doesn't have to be athletics it could just be some other objective but if you wanted to use athletics because like we said it's an easier way for us to relate to it and structure then it's just as easy as starting from one kilometer to going to a 
3K to a 5K to a 10K to a 40K. Yeah. So I, I think that that's the phenomenal thing about what we're what we're able to get out of sports and from the inspiring stories that are out there. Because that's a great other takeaways. Like we we have all these icons and and heroes and and other important figures that we've seen and they've they've done it yeah so mm-hmm. it's just a reminder that it's possible yeah well that's one thing we talk about a lot is the habit of doing hard things yeah um the ripple effect of that allows us it, it makes um our our belief system just expands exponentially if you run 5k all of a sudden 10k is possible if you run 10k you know it just exp- the the ripple the domino effect of, of challenging yourself and doing hard things is one thing Dean always says it's it's impossible until okay I'm quoting you here Dean just <laughs> finish your quote that's right and it, it it may it's well yeah often I say it's impossible until it isn't yeah right so you're like oh I couldn't do that that's impossible and then one day you find yourself doing it and you're like what so and how did you get there it was like a habit of consistently trying things that are just a little bit harder yeah. along the way right yeah. Yeah, that's why we have to continue to um, respect other people's experiences as well. Often people feel like it's. I, I think you know I can relate to this. Is that you 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 have this envy of of like okay, well, I want to do that, but I might not be able to do that. And we you know we can go back to privilege because mm-hmm. it it certainly is a privilege to be able to do some of the things that we're doing. Not everyone has that. Like if you look at what's going on around the world, we're in a lucky situation to be able to pull out our bike and just do that ride, even though like today the air is supposed to be not so great in quality. But I still went for a run and I was like, that's still better than probably, you know, some counterpart of mine on the other side of the world. Yeah. So the the bottom line is that, um, so because of that, then there's also that responsibility that comes with it. Because, well, what are we, what are we here for, right? Like, what are we trying to achieve at the end of the day? Like, you can take a backseat approach, and we're, and then we, we get comfortable with that. That's fine. I mean, nobody's gonna say no to you. You can be just concentrating on on what you know that means for for yourself. Or we are taking a proactive approach, and we're trying to make some contribution and helping others mm-hmm. succeed as well. And that's the responsibility side that I uh, connect with, because that makes me work harder, and yeah. that's that's that that's that part. So the the there's a lot to be done. So mm-hmm. like that's the when you look at some of the challenges, climate, other you know stuff that's that technology is in a great opportunity right now. Life sciences, there's a tremendous opportunity. Education, there's there's certain themes that that are important for progress to occur and i believe it's the better for the betterment of humanity and for the next generation so to us we don't have to think so lofty it's not about putting the next satellite into space we're doing it just with the interaction that we have with our loved ones right as a starting point yeah and that kindness factor or teaching our children's about empathy or kindness and stuff like that maybe just what is necessary so they don't become the next bully right kind of what you're you what we've been talking about is working together collaboratively as a team and you've got the section principle five drafting so for those that aren't into cycling and and drafting when you're working in the peloton working as a team um it becomes much easier 
if you're cycling behind someone, it's like 25 or 30% easier than if you were the person at the front of the, the group cycling. So this idea that the, the draft allows you to move faster and, and with more ease. So you've got this quote here um, by Helen Keller, alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. And then you kind of go on from that to say there's power in numbers, an extra set of hands, another set of shoulders to climb on. What you build alone can be wonderful, but what you can build with others can be extraordinary. When you're in good company, sharing a collective vision, your reach is profound. When you look beyond yourself, roll up your shirt sleeves and lend a helping hand. This is the kind of service that is radical and transformative. This is what uplifting humanity looks like. This is true philanthropy. Um, so maybe we can kind of pause on this this idea of, of drafting and and helping each other to get you know we've all got to the start line but getting getting through the journey drafting drafting together Mm. yeah what what i've noticed in building companies is um is what you build with others can be extraordinary Mm -hmm. and you do start from very you know square one you your your story is one of those i was talking to somebody recently about being on this podcast and the first memory that they had was of juice truck in Gastown. amazing of the of the um, the truck the food truck of the food truck and and um you know and they're from toronto and oh sorry they're from vancouver they live in toronto so so it was just it was just um you know for just a reminder in terms of look at the progress in a decade Mm -hmm. of where you know and and that's an example of uh doing it um conservatively um with building blocks with uh limited you know uh, external funding and all of that so just you're you you did it yourself so what you build with others it can be extraordinary and and i think that that's what like in my in, in our business in life sciences one of the toughest things is like it's about how fast things need to be but there's a huge amount of capital expenditure in order to get there so it's the efficiency of the use of capital in order to get the progress and everybody wants a drug approved right away but the reality is that you know there's you got to go through the 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 trials and and studies and do the statistical analysis and show that they're safe and and then have the efficacy so i think that the 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 capability um in in terms of the tasks uh is um there's almost this correlation between how big some of the lofty things are in the world Mm. is how many people that you need to mobilize in order to get that done. We saw that firsthand in 2020 when we went through COVID where the whole world mobilized on a certain level in terms of just adhering to policies that government set out in terms of quarantining. And then you had governments working together in terms of how they want to roll out vaccines. And then you also saw the lack of cooperation from certain governments not wanting to interact or not wanting to share IP or companies not wanting to share IP, you know, based on their own reasons or whatever, because of capital or, you know, or or their, their, you know, some particular, you know, agenda or anything like that. But, but so, so depending on how large the, the objective is, it, it's, 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 it's important to mobilize that yourself. Of course, when you're running a marathon, it's you against you, and there's a lot of that. But there is also an element of you didn't get there on your own. 
Mm-hmm. You also sacrifice that with everybody else participating. It could have been your loved ones understanding that you're going to go train. You <laughs> for know, your for, long run every weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and the sacrifices that you had to make there. Yeah. It's a usually training for endurance sport is a family goal, not just yes. an individual goal. Yeah. Everybody has to be on board with yeah. it. So um, I think that the drafting thing has a lot of cor- correlation. It has it. It's a responsibility that we have to look beyond ourselves. And that it's about the, not only just rolling up your sleeves and looking beyond yourself, but you have to lend that helping hand. And it's the kind of service that's radical and transformative that um, you just you decide what you put put into it. I keep saying what I, I don't know why I've been saying this so much, but it's it's kind of annoying me that I'm saying it so much. But I, I mean it in terms of what you put into something is what you get out of it. Yeah. And it comes in. It's so, it's so relevant in everything that we do work family ourselves you know so it's you it's really you against you right yeah. like you know so at, we're we're so like responsible to that um that that aspect um yeah and that's that kind of core accountability too is just to yeah. say at the end of the day like what i across the board what i put in like that's going to benefit me that's what that's what i'll get out of this experience of life right how much do i invest in health how much do i invest in family in nurturing relationships and seeking joy and finding purpose and all those things. But when we invest there, like the return comes back and the net gain for our whole life is just like, we're getting more out of this life. I think it's really rewarding too. Yeah. Because even I had this conversation, I was driving here with, um, uh, with my, um, with, I was just talking to Nina, my wife, and we were just talking about some operational stuff you know like husband wives they end up getting really operational about certain tasks and forget about yeah the the personal side right first lunch dinner what happens between that i don't know yeah so we were we were but it's just you get so caught up in all that and then she just reminded me to take a deep breath he's like okay like look don't stress about that stuff right now you just just focus on getting we're, we're just working through some stuff on work side and just like concentrate on you know doing that you don't need to stress about that we got that under control it's not nothing's gonna go wrong because i was i was uh, adamant about making uh, a decision on something sooner than it needed to be mm-hmm. and it's it just it was a reminder it's like why are you why are you bothered about making a hasty decision like that when we don't need to we we, we are fine with with not making that that decision at this point so same thing comes with like our, our our different examples that we're talking about. I think from an entrepreneurship standpoint, like we we uh, we do have this responsibility of going and making some progress on the world. You have to also take that step back of saying, what can you do? The one of the most important takeaways that I'm experiencing as I'm getting older in this field, and I still am young, is that. Um, uh, you can't do it. You can't do it yourself. When I was younger, I felt like, oh, there's a lot. You're, it's 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 all dependent on you. If you empower your team around you, you get so much more done, and and it's so impressive to see when there's that level of empowerment and accountability and that decision making from the person on the right and the person on the left and their person on right and left and all that stuff. That is a domino effect, and that's how shit really gets done. And look at, so we were talking about Elon. Yeah. Right? So I, 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 I just imagine, okay, operationally, because I'm, I'm a CEO, you're a CEO, you're a CEO. You're, 
your um uh you know you got <laughs> your domain of like your job right or your your corporation this guy has how many companies four five companies that he's the ceo of or whatever like he's like the the main decision maker yeah clearly he's not doing all of those decisions himself mm-hmm. he's he's got a great organization where he's invested in the people and there's they're making their respective decisions and it's you know they're empower and trust the community that you're a part of and and yeah and 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 it's and and we're seeing it so if you know i i i just i appreciate and admire that that side of leadership and that part of leadership about um that is probably the most important it's uh takeaway for me as an entrepreneur or as a business person or whatever it's never going to be about the money and it's probably not only not not going to be about a drug getting approved alone mm-hmm. yes that's going to be amazing and there's a huge altruistic component of being able to save somebody's life or a drug being able to make a difference for somebody but i believe that the bigger impact is if you can have that impact in that experience with your team and they have that ripple effect where they're doing it and there's a domino effect of them doing that and and on and on and on because then you're you're really seeing that progress happen just like that investment we're making into our children mm-hmm. we're making that same investment into our colleague yeah. our 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 person uh, you know that we're that we're working with on a day-to-day basis yeah yeah you're not letting the ends like usurp the means in that case like just like in a in a run or whatever too and you're training and training and training and training and everyone's like oh what are you training for and it's like for this result for this race or for a pb or whatever it is and that is the goal right or that you know getting the getting the certain drug or whatever it is approved is the goal but like it's the process it's the teamwork it's the building into those people in the community it's the training runs that shape you and help you to feel better and healthier like it's the whole journey it's the whole thing that matters the end result is beautiful and that's often like where we're striving towards but no one no one runs a marathon and is like oh good i got this medal like yeah. it's the whole experience the medal exactly. is just like one part of it yeah yeah and they got then they then the rest of that um everybody a part of that team feels the same uh camaraderie yes. and and belonging a part of that victory of yeah. that win it's yeah. a shared win totally and that shared win is so much better feeling yeah. that's why this comrades marathon that i was talking about earlier with you guys is so important to me yeah i want to do it i don't know when i'm going to train for that distance but i'm going to find some time to do that we should do it together uh you know and and that that race is all about this this element of comrades uh so you you, you have this camaraderie it's i guess it's based on um, uh, a certain war that happened, and there's a hi- history behind it. I forget. It's this, is, this is in South Africa, right? Yes, in South Africa. Yeah. But the but the whole you know race is about everybody finishes. It's about finishing together, and yeah. you're working to to ensure that everyone gets across the finish yeah. line, and then, and that's the that's why it's called comrades. Um, no, leave, leave no runner behind. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and and you know that's the cra- crazy thing is what we learn from. Military examples. Yeah, I find military examples so inspiring. I don't know if you guys, uh, you know, find the same, but I, like I watched Top Gun recently uh, many <laughs> times, like, watching it over and over again. <laughs> Leave no man behind. <laughs> yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, it's just it's just it's interesting where you know where, where you get your inspirations from. But but I um, I'm working on a corporate offsite uh, that I'm or team offsite in December, and 
been thinking about the different types of speaker I want to bring in to to talk to the team and and it's been a tough year for the team because we've been working on a on a mega transaction that's quite transformative for the company a lot of work has gone into it everybody's been working around the clock and putting a lot of sweat into it but um so it's gonna you know it's important to have a team building moment i think they've recently in speaking with the the whole team is like i feel like they've gone through their own resilience of that experience together so there they are there's a there's a huge tight bond so i was wondering you know what would be a complimentary speaker so i was thinking about somebody from the from the military yeah i feel like they they deal with this day in and day out conflict resolution conflict yeah yeah well i I think and and just kind of reflecting on this book and and kind of maybe summarizing um i think each each section has macro and micro lessons and we, we can learn from from sport and and working together and we can learn from business as well that can also teach resilience um but i'm really inspired by the steps that you've broken down from finding your purpose, communicating, working with your community, finding your mentors, finding the joy in the practice, mm-hmm. um, that we're together, when we're working together, we're, we're stronger. Um, but I think most importantly, that joy, like we have to have joy in the, in that yeah. practice, in, in the journey. Otherwise, we're going to get to the, the end yeah. and, and we're going to, still be searching for for why we do all these things um so i think to kind of you know we can transition to a little we like to wrap things up with some rapid fire and some fun questions okay um but i just want to say this this book i'm grateful that you've put this out to the world i think there's there's steps that we can all take whether we're interested in sport and endurance or not um there are steps for for life and for business that are are amazing takeaways. So thank you for creating this. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that I'm going to flip back to on a regular basis just to have my own accountability and my own kind of drive. And um, yeah, I encourage if you haven't haven't picked up a copy, look up Catapult. The website's great as well. I think it's under PraneetDillon.com. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The journal is really great there. There's a lot of takeaways and, and incredible stories. Um, but let's do a little rapid fire and then we'll, sure. we'll round out with our closer. Okay, so you mentioned comrades. Um, if you have the luxury of, of time and the energy to, to train, um, what are a few events on your bucket list? So I, I've been comp- continuing to compete, by the way. Like, so even though it's, it's a, a little bit up and down, I think the competition thing is a really important part of it because that's my level of accountability to continue to have growth. Yes. So I am competing in December uh, with my CFO actually at a at a CrossFit. I've been kind of taking up more oh, CrossFit this year. Dinner too. Yeah. So High Rocks uh, tournament in um, in December. Sweet. I think the team's rooting for my CFO. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll, ch- we'll cheer for you, Penny. Yeah, she's she's younger. Well, more athletic than I am, but um, so so there's um, that competition's coming up. It's never I've never done something like that before, so that'll be interesting. Next year, I have uh, the big one that I'm working towards is a paddle. Okay. Uh, so I've taken up more um, just prone pa- prone paddling. Yep. This year has been a bit irregular, but I did a lot in the last two years. Um, and there's a race or at an event 
it's a distance event of like oh, about 30 miles yeah. from Catalina to Manhattan Beach. There's a pre-qualifier that's a 14 miler. Um, so I'm just going to get ready for that first. And then in August is the big one. So that's the, that's the big one on the bucket list. Uh, I've never done anything like that before of, um, you know, I, I'm, I still don't have the courage to swim that distance, Yeah. <laughs> but on a paddle, <laughs> it'll be something different. I, I reason that's on my bucket list and, and why I'm committed to it is it's, it's something different. Um, running distances are great. And we talked about getting from point A to point B, you can't stop. So that's, that's something that, you know, that's always there a constant being on the ocean and you have to get from <laughs> point A to point B and the, it's one coast to the other coast. Uh, that's a whole other yeah there's a few more variables yeah and that's uh, something that I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what that what that unlocks very cool um, okay. and then uh, yeah and then there's from after that I think I want to do one more on my on my bucket list is doing an Ironman with my kids but that's, that's a, cool that's a whole other that's a whole other thing that's going to yeah. take a, a little bit more patience yes. on my part yeah but my patience side of that is i have to continue to stay fit yeah <laughs> so yes. and then they are going to come along and hopefully wake up one morning and say okay we're ready to do this let's do it down so that that was that's one thing i want to do but I, if you know if they're not keen on doing that i would love to do some other you know race with them i we this year i was introducing the concept where we did we did a small race together and um you know, maybe we'll work, work, work our way up to bigger things. That's the dream. I love that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I want to. I want to do sports with my kids too. We'll see. I'm trying not to project too hard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a tough thing. It's like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, just never... do it. Do whatever you want. But here's a basketball and a soccer ball. Let's go play. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. My my daughter started swimming. They both they've always loved swimming. Done the swimming lessons. But last year she started swim club. Yeah. And so then, because it was still kind of pandemic life, so they're like, no parents are allowed. To like spectate, it's kind of drop off and let them go. But like the pool was open, so I was like, "Well, I'm just gonna like swim laps. I'm not gonna drive you and then drive home and drive back." Oh, so I was like, "I'll just start swimming laps." And then I was like, "Low key, like also this is me like getting into swimming so that we can go swim laps together. You know, like find those things that you can do together." Oh, I, I, I tried doing that. My daughter was like, "No." no. <laughs> I dropped her off. At the same thing. She was in water polo. And yeah. She's like, "You're not coming in, right? You're not gonna." Like- Walk around in your speedo. Speedos change the game. Yeah, yeah. I'm in the I'm in the jammers. I'm in the longer ones. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Once she starts, uh, you know, swimming with uh, some prospective like boyfriend or partner or whatever, then it'll be like, okay, now I'm showing up in my speedo. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm yeah. daddy. <laughs> no. I love that. Um, you talk about in the joy or talk about in your book like joy right yeah. Zach had mentioned it and you say or have the quote um, joy is a great motivator yeah. what is what is something that brings you joy and that serves as like motivation for you I think these days is really laughing with the kids and laughing with the family like we are a very funny bunch at home and thankfully my wife Nina she's she's like she should have been a comedian we always tell her that yeah. because she has like some really cool jokes but then the younger one, you know, starts like testing out material and stuff like that. So <laughs> those kind of things are really what brings me joy as a father and and just in that in terms of that home environment. Because it, it's just humbling in terms of you get so pulled into so many different things outside the house. And then coming back home and just remembering, you know, that that that's one of the coolest feelings. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, you get that joy feeling from running 13 miles and stuff like that too. It's different though. Mm-hmm. It's a different type of reward. The 
not to get sappy, but I like these these days my joy factor is based on how emotional I'm feeling. Mm. Right. And it's like, I don't know, from the COVID experience and whatever, like I was talking to my wife one day, I was like, oh, you know, don't you feel like we need a good cry? Right. It's like, you know, that because I don't and I don't nothing underlying driving that. Yeah. It's just that there's like this tension that, you know, you want to kind of like relieve or something like that. So mm. but it doesn't have to be a crying. It could be laughter. Yeah. And laughter is one of those, those a release. Yeah. The release. And with the family, it, it's just a different moment. It's an interesting moment, an interesting dynamic, seeing the kids at this age and that interaction. It's like what you're, you really, you know, just remember, you count your blessings about, hey, wow, that's a great opportunity to witness this in front of us because it's what you dreamed about. And yeah. that's been more rewarding than anything else. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. I love it. Tina, do you want to? Land it yeah. with our uh, with our closer. You sure. might have heard this one before. <laughs> oh no! If you listen, if you listen all the way through, you know we often have these long, long form conversations. But we just like <laughs> I, we love hearing the interesting stories that people bring, and that was part of our motivation for the podcast. Was like let's hear human stories of people who are doing cool things, coming out with cool work, and supporting others, which is all the things that you're doing, Panit. And um, so, so that was one motivation. The other was like, you know, what do what do we want this podcast to achieve beyond just being out there and existing and we really, you know, one of our core values was like creating a space where good things can happen. And so on a run, surprise, surprise, Zach came up with the name A Little More Good. And when when he shared it with me, we were out running just not far from here. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that's it. And I just, it just landed so well. And I was like, that's the name. Like that's what we have to do. A Little More it. Good. I love it. But we always love to ask our guests, like what, what does that mean for you? A Little More Good. I... To me, it is about inspiring that next person. I was very lucky that I got that bug or ins- inspiration. I wouldn't call it a virus because I think that that word's been overused. <laughs> but like that, that, that motivation that would would um, you're infected by yeah uh, infected by like just you have to do it. You have yeah. to you you can't turn back now. You've got to keep going and you got to persevere. So I'm so lucky that i'm surrounded by great human beings like yourselves and in work and other and like you know these other organizations that have been a part of like yell and um and sky bioscience and like this company i'm running or or this platform like this book you get to talk about these unique experiences and put them in the context and humanize it for people to hopefully inspire somebody that's willing to take that next risk and instead of it coming up in the form of TikTok it could be in the form of something that's going to in make a difference for somebody that doesn't have that same luxury. And I, I really fundamentally believe in that. One of the key reasons I'm in life sciences and I, I've been patient through life sciences is I think it still has a long way to go and there's a huge amount of uh, opportunity and unlocking of like uh, unmet medical conditions and and overcoming that Mm. so i i hope that a little bit a little more good is that high school senior that is you know um maybe listens to this podcast or listens to one of us or you know comes across us in a on a stop sign wearing when we're wearing spandex right yeah, yeah. And, and and asks us about oh well what is that kind of bike and that leads to this conversation about 
hey, you know, why don't you ride with us for the next kilometer and we'll chat about it. Those are those moments that we're never going to get back. Mm. And those are those moments that do create that domino effect. Because look back on our own internal, our own lives and, you know, we'll, we'll, we can all recount a little nudge, a, a little perspective in terms of we got that did inspire us to do more. Yeah. A little bit. Ooh, a little more good. Yeah. Oh, no. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There we go. Well, thank you for that. I love it. Grateful for you. Grateful for this book. Grateful for the ripples that you're connecting, that you're creating and connecting. And and thank you for taking the time to sit down with us today. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Let's keep this going. All right. All right. Uh, as we're outroing this podcast, uh, you know, Dean and I often sip on cordyceps while we're enjoying this pod. And uh, love it. They're starting to kick in. I'm feeling the wave Ooh. of energy. I think I'm going to have to go for a run or. Do, do something. something. Do something. Yes. Do something. Get that. Get those. Get those. Uh, get that body moving. Body moving. Body moving. How's that go? How's the song go? Ain't no sound. This sounds so smooth. Soothing. Body moving. Beastie Boys. Check Beastie it out. Boys. All right. Catapult. Yes. Dylan. How to think like a corporate athlete to strengthen your resilience. This book's a great guidebook. You can you can flip to any page for inspiration and guidance. How movement and athletics are connected to our, our values and how we show up at work and how we show up at life. So I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I encourage you to pick up a copy of this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've made it this far and enjoy this podcast, please do uh, share with a friend, put a rating up on uh, Google, Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcast, because it helps us share this good message to more people. So thank you to all of you for making it this far. And we look forward to checking in with you all next week. That's right. Have a great rest of your day. Peace. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.